0: Once more, glad to see all of you this morning. Thank you for being here. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. In the cafe, we love you guys so much. I love uh, the way worship happens back there. I love your band. I love the way you're growing. I love the way you love each other. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Starting the new sermon series on this Sunday after Easter entitled Life on Mission. As you know, Life on Mission is our theme for the whole year. Actually, Life on Mission should be the way we live our lives uh, on mission. And that's what I want us to talk about. I would like our church to get very, very serious about Scripture, about prayer, and about what we are as the church. And that's why we're going to the book of Acts to talk about life on mission. If you follow me on the live event on the Bible app, I want you to notice that I've linked a reading plan for the book of Acts. It's a 30-day reading plan. If you follow me on social media, Twitter or Facebook, I put the same link to the very same plan, a 30-day reading plan for the book of Acts. I would like you very, very much all of us together to read the book of Acts over the next 30 days. That's not a lot of reading. Today's reading, if you'll start with me today, and today's the start day, we're gonna read eight verses. And so it's really not a big burden, but please, please find that reading plan. If if you only find it one time, that's good. You can ask the reading plan, ask the Bible app to send you that devotion by email every day. And then those of you who will be lucky to find it the first time, it'll find you after that. It'll send you an email and you'll just read it on your email, or you can program the Bible app to remind you to read your Bible. Uh, You would think that some of us wouldn't need that reminder, but I need that reminder sometimes. And it's very, very helpful when my phone, where the Bible is, reminds me to read, and then I can stop and and read my devotion for the day. So please, there is a version for teenagers. There's a version for children, if you're family and you want to work through with your children, and there's a version for adults. Let's read the book of Acts together. Let's start with Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and let's start right now. Read with me. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Remember that the book of Acts is written by whom? Luke. Luke, the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And very, very literally, Luke and Acts are part one and part two of the same book. You're supposed to sit down and read them straight through the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So notice now, in the introduction to the book of Acts, Luke points you back to the first book, the Gospel. And here's how he begins. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, Theophilus is apparently the guy to whom all of this is written, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, a man named Theophilus. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Jesus replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of about half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus, about 120 believers were together in one place. Let's stop right there. Let's wait right there. Go back to that first verse. I had to read right past it, and I was about to bust to preach it then, but I managed to wait till this moment right here. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. It's, it's an interesting word choice there, but it tells us a whole lot of what we need to know right here. In the first book, I told you about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. That's That's an odd way to say that. Do you see that? Because typically we'd say, you know, my first book, I told you what Jesus did. I told you what Jesus taught. You expect past tense there because it's the first book and what Jesus did, he did. And what Jesus taught, he taught. But Luke says it differently. Luke says, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach. So this is how the book of Acts begins, and it's really, really critical that you see this. That, that what Jesus did in the Gospels, what Jesus taught in the Gospels, it, it was only the beginning. What begins with Jesus continues with the church. You have to see this. You have to understand this. What begins with Jesus now continues. Luke says, in my first book, I told you about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach, and then he rolls right into what is the rest of the story, and the rest of the story is the church. The church is the continuation of everything that Jesus began to do and teach. The church. That means us. You understand? We are the church. So when you read the book of Acts, you have to develop this ability to read the Bible in a way that many of you are not used to reading the Bible. Many of us read the Bible as a story of things that happened then. We read the Bible as a story of people who lived back then, a story that that can be told, but also you know that it's over, it's history. But what you have to understand is that the book of Acts is a story that that unfolds all the way up to the moment, the the very last moment that Luke would have known. He writes about all the significant events in the life of the church uh, as far as he knew. But there's no indication that those events, that the things that the church was doing and teaching ended there. It unfolds right on into history, right on into our lives. Do you see this? Do you understand this? We are living the continuation of the book of Acts. So when you read this book, when you read about this church, when you read about the things that Jesus began to do and teach, you have to develop this sort of back and forth way of reading and thinking. In other words, then is now. You understand? This is this. What they were then, we are now. It's very important that you see this. And by the way, you're looking at me. I'm not sure you're seeing this yet. I'm not sure you understand that this is your story. I'm not sure that you understand what Jesus promised them. is what Jesus promises us. I'm not sure that you understand what they have, we can have too. Do you understand that? Do you see that? This is not supposed to be the story of the church long ago. This is the beginning of something that we're still living out. You see, in the same way that the church laid hands on Paul and Silas or Paul and Barnabas and sent them out into the Roman world, understand, we just laid hands on Tristan and we're sending him out. You understand? It just still unfolds. There's no difference in what they did then and what we've done today. It's the same thing. It's the very same thing. Paul and Silas go off into Asia and understand, we send teams to Indonesia and we send teams into into Central America and to Haiti. It's the same thing. So understand, we can have what they had. We're supposed to have what they had, but here's the place where we tend to miss it. If we're going to have what they had, then we must do what they did. If we're going to have what they had, then we have to do what they did. So here's the thing. We're going to read the book of Acts together. And in every place, we're going to stop. We're going to pay attention to what they did. We're going to do what they did. Because I don't see any other way for God to use us the way God used them. I don't see any other way for us to have what they had, for us to be what they were, do you understand? Unless we're willing to do what they did. And honestly, they don't do anything that we don't pretend we do. We just do a whole lot more talking about it than actually doing it. I'm scared to death that I will get to the end of my life, the end of my time with you as pastor, and I'll find out that what we followed was a, a, a really ambitious Southern Baptist Church program. I want us to follow the Spirit of Jesus. I don't want to find out that, that all we did was, you know, sort of the, the, this amazing, this is amazing explosion of church busyness, but we didn't manage to become witnesses to the risen and living Christ in the, in the world. I, I want us to be the church, and, and this is where the church begins. And this is where it unfolds. You know, a lot of the times we're like Larry Walters, who was a man who lived in Long Beach, California. Larry was sitting in a Sears and Roebuck lawn chair in his backyard one day. And it dawned on him that a guy just can't sit around. So Larry came up with an idea, and it was an amazing and ambitious idea. Larry's idea was to go buy some weather balloons. So he bought 45 eight-foot weather balloons, and then he went down to the party store, and he bought some tanks of helium. All right. So Larry Walters attached 45 weather balloons to a Sears and Roebuck lawn chair. And then he made himself a little cooler of sandwiches and he got a giant large Diet Coke. All right. You with me? He got a parachute and a camera and he filled the balloons with helium. He tied the balloons to his chair. He tied the chair with two straps to his own Jeep. All right? He got in his chair. He strapped on his parachute. He got his sandwiches. He got his Diet Coke. He got his camera. He has big, thick glasses, and he cuts the rope. Now, now his plan, his plan was maybe to float, you know, 30, 40 feet above his house over his neighborhood, you know, and just sort of see the neighborhood and and, and enjoy his sandwiches. But but what happened, y'all? When he cut the ropes— He shot like a rocket. He went straight up. Now, when he went straight up, it knocked his glasses off. And remember, Larry can't really see without his glasses. And he forgot to take any pictures from that point on. Okay, you you can't make this stuff up. Google this. Larry Walters ended up going 15,000 feet into the air. That's that's like three miles, y'all. Now, that's not the trip he planned, but, but he was floating, he was floating, and he was floating three miles above the earth. He had his sandwiches and his Diet Coke and his parachute on. Um, it wasn't the trip he anticipated. The first report of Larry's trip came from a TWA airline pilot. Larry in his Sears and Roebuck lawn chair, drifted into the flight path of, of what is Los Angeles airport. So the TWA airline pilot had to get on the radio and, and, and say that he just passed. <laughs> yeah, I'm not making this up. He got on the radio and said, ground control, I've just passed a man in a lawn chair. eating a sandwich. (laughs) They did. They did. He was over the the airline. Um, Larry brought his pellet gun because his plan was to sort of fly around until the sandwiches are gone and then start shooting balloons (laughs) and come back down. But once you're three miles up, it, it takes a lot of faith to start shooting out balloons. But that's what he did. He started shooting out balloons one by one. Uh, he started coming down slowly. He, he got hung up in power lines. There was this big blackout in, in Long Beach, California. He'd be blacked out the whole, the whole neighborhood. The um, thing is, the, the balloons got tangled up in power lines. And so when he, when, he, when he fell all the way down to earth, his chair just hung there like five feet off the ground, and he just stepped out. I bet his wife killed him, you know. They asked Larry about it when it was all over, and he said, you know, you couldn't make me do that again. I said we're like him. I think we're a lot like Larry Walters as a church. Because first off, Larry didn't understand the power that he had harnessed. Understand? His, his dream, his goal was just to sort of float, you know, give himself a, a joy ride and enjoy an afternoon with some sandwiches and a drink. He, he had no idea the power that he had harnessed, you understand? Because when he was cut loose, he shot like a rocket. He, he had no intention of doing anything that impressive. And, and it is impressive. What Larry Walters did it is impressive, but it's pointless. Understand, at the end of that day, he had basically, he had basically engaged a tremendous amount of power to take a journey to nowhere. You you see that? All all that he accomplished was simply to eat a sandwich at 15,000 feet and and come back down. It's a tremendous waste of ambition and power. And as much as I love our church and as proud as I am of what we have been able to accomplish in the spirit, I, I still have this horrible fear that for the most part, w- we really don't understand the, the power that we've been given. And, and my real fear is that we engage this power mostly for uh, one after another, a, a series of sort of journeys to nowhere. We manage to do things that are very, very impressive, but but pointless, uh, often pointless. Now, some of you think, Pastor, how can you say what we do is pointless? I, I love the church. I, I love everything we do. And, and yeah, I love it too. I, I love it too. But a whole lot of what we do is, is more or less sort of about finding an impressive way for us to eat sandwiches. Do you understand? It becomes a whole lot about us. We love our church and we love each other and we love getting together. But you understand, we've been given power. Jesus told those ancient disciples to go and wait because they were going to receive power because they were going to need power. You understand? The power isn't just a gift for us. The power isn't just simply something that we have so that we can be awesome and impressive. That's not the point. The point is you will receive power because you're going to be my witnesses. You understand? Jesus provides power with purpose. It's power with purpose. Now, most of us love the idea of power. We don't enjoy the idea of purpose. And that is where we fall very, very short of what Jesus has in mind when he birthed the church with power. Understand? The power is necessary because we have a purpose that is going to demand power. We have a job to do, and that job is going to require power from on high. We can't do this without him. We can't do what he intends without an influx of the power of the Holy Spirit. So the horrible fear that I have as pastor of Woodburn is that so much of what we do does not require power from on high. So much of what we do is very, very natural. It's the kind of stuff that we can do if we just put ourselves into it. It's the kind of mission that we can accomplish when we just do everything we can do. Understand? And for about 150 years, Woodburn Baptist Church has done about everything they can do, but But the purpose of the church was not to get in there and and use all of their power to do everything they can do. The purpose of the church is to engage the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, to do things that would be completely unthinkable apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Most everything that we do as a church, you can explain. You can explain without referencing the Holy Spirit. You can talk about people who are generous in they give. You can talk about people with gifts and, and, and talents. You can talk about people of commitment. But do you understand, is there anything that we've accomplished, anything that we dream of, that can only be explained by, by a supernatural intervention of the power of the Holy Spirit? Because this is where the church is born. This is where it absolutely all begins. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Now, all through the Gospels in the New Testament, we're used to thinking of Jesus' followers as being disciples. But in the book of Acts, you're going to see the definition of disciple get very, very narrow. Now, I'm not negating what the other books in the New Testament say about discipleship, but you're going to see a narrowing of the definition of discipleship, and it all comes down to witness. You're going to be my witnesses, and that witness will require power from on high, so wait for it. You're going to be my witnesses. Well, Pastor Tim, I'm not called to preach like you're called to preach, and and Brother Tristan's called to preach. You know, there's some of us called to preach, and some of us not called to preach, So, so Pastor Tim, you just go preach, and we'll sit in these pews, and we'll holler amen every now and then if we feel like things are getting dull. Okay, I agree. We're not all called to preach, but we are all called to be witnesses, We are all called to be witnesses. You may not be called to preach, but you are called to tell. You are called to tell what you know. You are called to tell what you have seen of the risen and living Savior. It says that Jesus showed himself alive over many days in many different ways with many convincing proofs. Well, like I say, he's still doing that. That this is that, then is now, what they were, we are now. So Jesus is still wanting to show himself alive with many convincing proofs. And guess what? You're supposed to be that living proof that he's alive. You're supposed to be the living proof that Jesus makes a difference in life and in the world. But the thing is, if he's not making any difference in your life, then you don't have much to tell turns out you don't have a whole lot to tell. Maybe that's why you're so tongue-tied. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you've never met him. Or maybe somehow in in, in some sort of miscarriage of salvation, you got saved, but he didn't change you. I I don't understand that. Because where the power of Jesus steps in, there is a change. If he walks out of that empty tomb and right into your empty heart, all of a sudden you're going to be full. And you're going to be different. And if You're living proof of that difference. You've got something to tell, and you are called, destined to tell it. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You, a witness with power. It's power with purpose, power with purpose. Most of us like the idea of power, but mostly if we can use it for selfish reasons, like I'd like power so like I could, I could cook toast with my mind, you know, or or maybe make tra- traffic lights change on Scottsford Road when I'm in a hurry, you know, I would like that kind of power, you know. But but the power is for a very, very specific purpose. And, and the, the, the sense that you get in Scripture is, is that this power is something that, that, that you receive. It's multiplied the more and more you engage in the purpose. So in other words, the more that your life speaks of Jesus, the more of that power you're going to experience. The more of that power that's going to be required. Do you understand? It's power for a purpose. The Holy Spirit's not just going to give you power to keep in your pocket to feel safe. This power comes when you step out and engage on the mission, when you begin to live your life on the mission in such a way where you require and need power. That power is there for His purpose. And that's what worries me as pastor. We do a lot of things. I don't see a lot of power in it. I take responsibility. I do. We have fun together. Man, I love you guys. We have fun. We laugh. Sometimes worship's amazing. I love when it just catches fire. I love this morning. I love worshiping with you. But if our one purpose is to be witnesses, I don't see people getting saved here. I see people getting happy. I see lots of people go down on mission trips, even, but I don't see people getting saved. Sometimes not even our own kids. We must be the most lousy witnesses on the planet, y'all. We've been here 150 years, and we haven't even won Woodburn yet. Do I need to remind y'all the size of Woodburn? The last election, there were 90 people that voted. Last Sunday on Easter, we had nearly a 1,000 people in this house. A 1,000 of us can't win 90 people if you give us 150 years. That doesn't speak well for us. Where's the power? Man, I put everything I've got into preaching. I do, y'all. I put everything I've got into it. And at the same time, my preaching lacks power. I say that because I... I don't seem to be pointing people to Jesus. The the point of my preaching is is not to entertain you well and and put it on the internet and, and get some likes on Facebook. The purpose of my preaching is to be a witness, to point people to Jesus. I don't see people coming to Jesus. That doesn't speak well for my preaching. We have one job, to be witnesses. And we have all of the power of the Holy Spirit, so where Is it? Verse 14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. I said that if we're going to have what they had, then we're going to do what they did. They prayed. They prayed and they waited. In other words, they were completely willing to just push pause on the whole thing and wait for power and wait for the Holy Spirit. They were not willing to move forward without the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I've heard Matt Betts say over and over lately, we all love the Book of Acts. We love Acts chapter two with Pentecost, and love Acts chapter three with Peter and John. We love all those chapters with Paul. Man, Paul's out there getting bit by snakes and shipwrecked. Man, we love the Book of Acts, but the problem is when we say Book of Acts, we mean like Acts chapter two and forward. You don't get to skip Acts chapter one and get right on into the to the exciting stuff. It, it begins with waiting. And praying. We don't wait very well around here. And we don't pray much. So let's start like they started. Let's push pause on the whole thing and let's just pray. I want to call this congregation to prayer. I want you to pray now. We're going to start in a minute. I want you to pray now. But I mean really pray. I want us to pray together. I want us to pray for the church. Pray for this church. We're going to pray first off that we could learn to pray because I don't think we pray well. We do the same prayer over and over and over. The prayer where we say, anybody got prayer requests? And then we list every hemorrhoid in Warren County and we pray over it. Why don't we learn to pray in such a way where we can get past just hemorrhoids and, and, and if you got hemorrhoids today, God bless you. But your hemorrhoid is not the greatest problem in the world. The problem is that there's a broken world that doesn't know Jesus that's going to hell and we're called to be witnesses. Your hemorrhoid can wait. Everything needs to wait because we need power and we need the presence of God. So let's pray that God will first just teach us how to pray. Some of us aren't very good at it because we don't practice. So let's get back into practice. Let's pray. So right now, every single one of you, I want you to be thinking about your prayer life and how you're about to change it because I want you to pray. I mean, become a real person of prayer like your grandma used to be. I mean, you'd be somebody who really prays you. It's it's time. It's time for me. Pray that you'll learn how to pray. Pray that all of us together will, will know how to pray. Pray that we'll be patient in praying that that we will wait for the Spirit to lead us, to move us, and that we wouldn't be so willing to move without knowing that He's leading us, that He's empowering us. Pray that we'll be patient and, and that we'll know how to just wait before Him. Just pray for the presence of God. Apparently these disciples, all they had was a promise that the spirit was coming. So they just went into a room and they locked the doors and all they did was pray together. They just prayed and prayed and they prayed for that spirit just to come. Let's do the same thing. Let's just pray for the presence of God. Let's don't pray so much that we can plant churches for him. Let's just pray that we will know him and that we will love him with whole hearts. Let's just pray for his presence, that we would know his presence, that the presence of Jesus would fill this church, would fill our hearts, that we would know that presence and and love that presence and and live for him. Understand? It's not what we can get from him. It's not that he can send us out to do. All of that comes after the fact that we just simply know him and love him. Let's pray for his presence and let's pray for his power, his power to come so that this church will will, will find its purpose, will recover its real sense of deep purpose. I want you to pray, pray with me, pray for me. It could be that this morning your small group needs to cancel everything and pray, push pause and, and, and pray. Maybe your small group should do that together. Maybe some of you should never leave this room. Maybe this altar should fill up and stay full throughout this day. I I don't know. My tendency is to want to want to describe it and define it and, and tell you how to do it. But but maybe my tendency is wrong. Maybe we need to let the Holy Spirit guide us. Maybe the Spirit needs to tell you how you need to pray. But we have to pray. As a church, we are more or less powerless, let's be honest. And if we are powerless, it is because we are prayerless. The power comes from praying. I want to ask you to pray. Let the instrumentalists come forward if they will, but the altar is open. And now I want to ask you to pray. I want you to begin a prayer that's never going to stop. It's going to be a prayer that's going to carry us all the way through to the future with the Lord. But right now, this congregation's going to pray. I'll begin us. After that, we'll let the instrumentalists lead us, and you do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Now, as you pray, the Lord will speak, and when he speaks, you, you need to be obedient to what he asks you to do, and, and sometimes what he's going to reveal to you is something we all need to know, so when the Lord speaks to you, you need to share that with the church. What you hear may be the missing piece, the, the one thing that everybody else in this congregation needs to know. He's going to speak through through us together, so we have to pray together, we have to listen together, and we have to obey together. starts with praying. Let's pray. God, help me. In 20 years, I've done a lot of preaching. God, help me if I've preached more than I've prayed. There are a lot of Sundays I, I preach longer than I pray. Lord, praying uh, sometimes just feels like a waste of time because everything stops. And Lord, I don't like to stop. Lord, we're waiting for you to tell us what to do, Lord. Sometimes that just gets old because there's, there's stuff that we just wanna do and we got the money in the bank to do it. So it just seems like we ought to just do it and, and ask you to bless it, Lord. We'll just be busy and you just be blessing. and Lord, somehow that's gonna build the kingdom, Lord. Help us just to pause, just to wait. Lord, as a church, we haven't been very serious. We've been serious about unimportant things, but we haven't been very serious about the important things like prayer. God, will you bring us to our knees? Will you bring us to our faces before you today? Will you make us able to pray? Will you make it where we just want to be in your presence? Will you give us your presence? Lord, we would love to have the rushing of wind and and, and the rain of fire, Lord, over our heads. We would love to to see people just break out speaking in tongues and healing and, and miracles and signs. We would love all of that. But, Lord, we don't love waiting and praying for that reason, Lord. We see nothing Sunday after Sunday, Lord, of nothing in particular. Lord, you've given us power with purpose. And that purpose and that power, Lord, we will discover when we pray. So remake this church, Lord, starting now. Let us be reborn as a church, Lord, so that we will become people of prayer. A church that prays. A church that prays first. A church that prays last. A church that never somehow leaves its knees. We pray without ceasing. Teach us to pray, Lord Jesus. Teach us to love your presence. Teach us to know your power. Teach us how to be witnesses. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, but for the sake of this church.